So I did throw a bit of a tantrum in the bedroom this morning when Sheldon messaged and said the power was actually off because I had a brilliant video to show you. It was brilliant. It was actually outstanding. So I did have a little tantrum, but I got over it really quickly because you quickly learn that when you are led by the Spirit and something like this happens, it's going to get real interesting real quick. And it gets very real as well. We hide about behind microphone and sound and music, but actually it's that pure, the pure voices that arise. And I had a picture in the worship of when we were singing that song, um, and let our praises arise. And that's not the song we sang. I can't even. Jesus went thrown. Jesus went thrown. Thank you. Um, I had a picture of the the Father on the throne, and he had tilted his ear just like this. And I felt him say, I am hearing. I am hearing today. Today is the day that you are able to put your petitions before him. And he is hearing you because of the pure place of your, where your worship was coming from. He turns his ear to us and he hears our cries. It's not just hear our cry and carry on with the day. He actually starts to make plans to change things. So last year, um, is this volume loud enough. I'm trying to remember everything my English teacher taught me about projecting my voice when you're on a hall of people, which when I was a teenager, I never thought that this would be me. Okay. I was either going to be an air hostess, quickly found out that was never going to happen thanks to my height or a dolphin trainer. But now I'm against dolphins in captivity. But anyway, we go. Last year, um, sometime, I can't remember, 2021 was a bit of a blur. But the title of my sermon was, where are we at? Where are we at? And when I started with this one, I felt God say, are we there yet? And he gave me an answer. I don't know if you've got small children or have had small children and you go on any kind of particular drive, even up to checkers, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? It does a little switch in a parent's brain. that As, you, as that question is asked, you kind of start, you just can't do it. But that's not God. Yeah. So I'd like to say, Bay City Church, we are there. We have arrived in our promised land. There's about three of you that are convinced. That's okay. I've I've got time to convince you. That's okay. I've got time to convince you. In this this kind of two-year period, particularly last year, the prophets were talking about um, parallel stories in the Bible that would run very parallel to what we have experienced in the past two years. And two big stories were coming out. They were saying it's a lot like um, Noah and the flood, what was going on there, and with the crossing of the Red Sea. One prophet mentioned that it is also a lot like Joshua and Caleb taking the promised land. And I felt God draw my attention to that, not to the big stories, but to there's something specific about the promised land. So with the story of Joshua and Caleb, we all know... They cross over the Red Sea. They send out 12 spies, representative of the 12 tribes of Judah, to go and spy out this promised land, the very reason they have left Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. Jordan. Jordan, thank you. Um, Thank you. As they cross, they send out the 12 spies. The 12 spies go and have a look at the promised land, and we all know they come back with a report of there are giants, there are fortified cities, but in the report... They do mention the good things, but they focused on the negative. They focused on the giants. Whereas there were two spies who said, no, 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 they are there, but, but, God has said. However, the majority were able to put a narrative across 
that it was impossible, that then the people agreed with that narrative. A narrative is not always true. There's elements of truth in the narrative, but it's not always true from beginning to end. So then what happens is they, the 12 spies are gone for 40 days, and because of their disobedience, they then remain in the desert for 40 years. I don't know about you, but if I were Joshua and Caleb, I would have been the absolute hell in and would have gone, that's it, I'm going, I'm not going to hang around here for 40 years. We said it was a good thing, and now I'm stuck with you for 40 years. But they remained. And I worked out that once they had crossed over, and including the days that the spies were out, the 40 days, it would have taken a total of 51 days for them to cross over into the promised land instead of 40 years, if they had obeyed. But God is gracious. Then that promise of the promised land went all the way back to Abraham. That was the original promise. That was the covenant that God made with Abraham. And I started to think about, well, why? What was so special about Canaan? Why did God make that the promised land? What, what did it have that was so amazing? Surely God could pick any territory and go, that's the promised land. He's God, for goodness sake. But you see, Canaan was, modern-day Canaan comprises of the following places. Gaza, other Palestinian territories, parts of modern-day Turkey, Syria, Jordan, and possibly parts of Egypt. Interesting, eh? Interesting that that's the promised land when we look at it today. But not only that, essentially, Canaan was strategically located at the crossroads of the world at that time. It has connecting three principal land masses to it, and it was a huge um, place for trade and information. And God's plan that was with his chosen people, the Israelites, he would co-labor with them to take this land, which was a strategic location for the worldwide flow of traffic, of trade and information and the spread of the gospel. So it was very strategic. And it did. Its soil was fertile. Its rivers and lakes, its irrigation, it was beautiful. So yeah, well, I'm going to read out of Deuteronomy 11, verses 11 to 28. It's a long section, but bear with me. There's lots that we're going to take out of it. Deuteronomy verses 11. Chapter 11. Chapter 11, verses 11. Then it's a chirp all the time, man. Yeah. <laughs> he was a mic. I don't really hear the chirping. Now the chirping's non-stop. And then I've, oh, then I've got yeah. the father of the house. Now he's chirping me. The father of the house is here today. I'd like to welcome my fathering, Jeffrey Kidwell. Now that you've spoken up, you get the spotlight. But the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water by the rain from heaven. A land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it, from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today, to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, he will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. And he will give you the grass in the fields for your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. Take care, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. 
and there shall be a frontlet between your eyes. Remember when I spoke on covenant, there was a mark on, the, on a person's hand when they, they'd gone into covenant with another family. He's saying it's got to be on your hand like a covenant. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, as long as the heavens are above the earth. Can you hear the narrative that God's got going about the promised land? For if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways and holding fast to him, then the Lord will do the following. He will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Every place which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to Lebanon, from the river to the river Euphrates, and to the western sea. No one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay fear of you and the dread of you on the land, and you shall tread as he promised. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. And the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from that way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. It's an intense passage, but there's a very, very strong narrative. And the narrative that I pick up that God is saying is, it's a brilliant land. You want to live there. It's going to be amazing. He then says that he will back you up in every war. He will give you this land. And then he says, obey my commandments. And that is where the world just, we fall so short sometimes. We struggle with the obeying part. But God's narrative was always about the goodness of the land, and he was very clear about that. And he also promised victory. What's the history of Canaan in biblical times? Canaan's an interesting place. Canaan, named after a man called Canaan, was a grandson of Noah, who was the son of Ham, who was the son of Noah, who was the only son of Noah who Noah cursed. So a little bit of research on this. It's not entirely clear in the text what went on, but something went down. Noah got drunk. Noah passed out. The next bit they tell us is that two of his sons, not Ham, walked in backwards to the tent with a covering to cover their naked father, but never look at him. But it actually says that when Noah woke up, he turned to Ham and he says, I know what you have done for me, therefore you are cursed. And he cursed that he would be a servant to many, many brothers. What's interesting, and I'm not going to lay my head on a block about this, but it's interesting that some things were going down in Canaan that might reflect this curse. In Canaan, Canaan, there were Canaanites, very successful people, because they had great land, they had strong fortified cities. But the fabric of their society was pretty rotten. And they were doing many abominable things in God's sight. There was the worship of demonic idols, taboo sexual acts, sacrifice of children, cannibalism, fortune tellers, necromancers, and you can imagine the rest follows. There were some pretty big strongholds in place in Canaan at the time. And that was God's plan, was to co-labor with the Israelites to tear down the strongholds and bring the, the land back to God so that he could fulfill his, his plans and purposes. And God was very specific with Joshua. 
when Joshua got the second call to take the land. He was specific about how to take the land. He gave them very specific instructions about where and how to worship. They were to destroy all the altars, all the false gods, every image. They, would, they had a certain place they would have to do their sacrifices and where to bring their tithes. And it was very clear they were never to marry or go into any kind of covenant with a Canaanite. Because that's the power of covenant. If you're going into covenant with somebody who has got open doors and has got things linked to them, you can be sure it will start affecting you if you've gone into covenant with them. And God was clear about that. But however, if a Canaanite, which many did, turned to God, different story. Absolutely different story. So Joshua gets the call to take the promised land. This is 40 years later. Bless him, he was 40 when he went and first saw the land. Now he was between 68 and 78 years old. And Moses has just died. Joshua sends two spies in to Jericho. And we know the story of Rahab and the two spies. However, Jericho was the first battle, the first giant that had to be taken. And it was defeated through the presence of the Lord by the carrying of the Ark of the Covenant. Then with trumpets, and the walls actually came down when there was a great shout. This morning, we had the presence of God with us. This morning, we lifted up a great shout. And many walls, believe it or not, in your life is coming down. Okay, so why the history lesson? Well, because there's a lot of similarities between Canaan and their practices and what we're experiencing in the world today. I was, um, <clears throat> I suppose this is a bit of an admission now. Um, I was trolling on Facebook, as I do when my brain is tired, and I, you know, you're just doing that, that swipe up, and your brain's not taking any information. And there was a picture that popped up. I kind of looked and kept scrolling, and then was like, the Holy Spirit was like, could you please go back and just have a look at that? And it was from the watershedding group. You remember those, those days when we thought the drought was our biggest problem and the biggest issue we've ever faced? Yeah, those days. Um, and on this watershedding group was a picture of a dam, an empty dam. And this dam is called the Beer... And I had beautiful pictures of it, but anyway, use your imagination. The Beer Flay Dam in Groot River in the Eastern Cape. And this woman was saying she was driving past it and she realized something about this dam. And so she stopped and she, she did a bit of history because she couldn't understand why the dam was empty. And she was saying this is the most maligned installation. In other words, the most misunderstood, um, informa- uh, misunderstood installation in our country. No one actually knows why it's there because of ignorance. Most people will drive past and they look and they go, <gasps> empty dam, drought. Oh my gosh, and they get back to Cape Town and they say, Susan, Vietje, van die beerflee dam. Das nix, nix, not even a drop, Susan. And then it gets a, oh, there's a drought in the Eastern Cape. Lots of people drive by, they see the empty dam. Oh, mismanagement. Listen, we're South Africans. I mean, that's like, yeah, we know, obviously, mismanagement. Holes in the wall, there's holes in the dam wall. Yeah, no, that's not the case at all with the Beerflay Dam. The Beerflay Dam was built in 1957, and it's a flood control dam. So it's meant to be empty. And the reason she was posting the picture is that it's full right now. 
because of the rains that happened in October, November, early December in the Eastern Cape, it's, it's full. And what's the beauty of the Biafle Dam is that when it is full, not only does it protect everything downstream, and there's a couple of towns downstream, it holds the water back, but that water is then used for irrigation for the surrounding farms. Now, if, let's call her Liesl, has arrived back in Cape Town and told two sons that the Biafle Dam is just um, and then it started spreading around the whole of the country. And every South African citizen and person that lives here would agree, yes, the Biafle Dam is just, it's useless. There's a massive drought. And not only is there a massive drought, it's completely mismanaged. And if we all kept saying that about the Biafle Dam, do you know what's going to happen? There will be a drought. There will be mismanagement of the dam. That's how powerful a narrative is. We've got to understand the truth of something, not just something we're told or something we've seen. We've actually got to do a little bit of research, okay? We've actually got to get a bit of understanding. Sheldon has been teaching uh, over the past couple of weeks brilliantly, might I add, on blessing and the tool of blessing and how to bless and why we bless. What is the point? And that's going to come up in a little while about blessing. But you see, we all have a beer flay dam in our lives. Could be a circumstance, could be a family member, could be a relationship issue. We all have a beer flay dam. You have got to ask God what the narrative is on that issue in your life. What is the truth about it? And then you start speaking the truth, okay? So after, you see, the power with the narrative is the following. Do I want to say that now? Yes, I do want to say that now. A narrative, so it's a story that starts being told. You get narratives on the news, you get narratives on social media, you get narratives on YouTube. It's people's thoughts and opinions, essentially, sometimes based in truth and sometimes based in very little truth. But you see, a narrative creates a perception. Huh, the BFA dam. Yes, no, I've heard. It's empty. Yeah, must be a drought. Mm. That's my perception of the BFA dam, and that area is in drought or it's mismanaged. A perception creates an emotion. I could become quite angry with the BFA dam because it's so mismanaged. And then I'm angry with South Africa, and then I'm just angry with the government, and I'm just angry with everyone. And out of my anger, I make a decision. Never make a decision out of an emotion. An emotion is just merely a a warning light, like when your petrol light comes on in your car and splashes at you, you're like, ah. Doesn't mean your car's going to stop right there. It means you've got some time, but you need to put some petrol in. It's the same thing with emotions. Now think about what we've been going through for the past two years, the Biafle Dam, which is called COVID. Think about the narrative that's been pushed. We've all said it here, it's the narrative of fear. We've all acknowledged it, but somehow it's still dictating in your personal life, that narrative of fear. It's still there. And today, the ecclesia is rising up and speaking our truth and breaking the Satan's narrative. We will not be taken over. We will not be shut down. No longer. So over the past two years, the narrative has been one of fear. 
scared of a virus, scared of each other, scared of the future. And all the enemy wants is for you to come into partnership and agreement with that narrative. Because the moment we do, then he actually has the power to make it happen. It then becomes the reality. How much more powerful when you come into God's narrative and come into agreement with what he is saying, that his reality is is led out across the world, across in your life, across the nation, across the world. That's how powerful it is. But when I look around, I see that the narratives are changing. Some are crumbling. Some are trying to adjust real quick to what's going on. The CDC were very strong last year coming out saying that natural immunity does not exist. And then they were like, oh, no, it does exist, but it wanes after three months. After three months, you have no natural immunity. Now, I'm not a doctor. I don't know. It's the CDC, for goodness sake. I mean, they've been around a long time. Then what they're saying must be right. Just last week, they came out and said, actually, natural immunity is seven or six times higher than the vaccine. They've had to now admit it. Because the narrative is changing, and they are going to get found out that they have lied. So, last year, 2021, was an horrendous year. Not for everyone. Sheldon and I realized that the other day we were sitting with a couple, and we were like, oh, no, 2021. They were like, I know, it was our best year. And I was like, I was offended. I was just so offended. You want to talk to someone, go, no, 2021. And they're like, yeah. And it's like, yeah. Like, oh. You know, you can commiserate with each other. It, it kind of like, I, was, I didn't know how to react. I just kind of stared at them. I was like, oh, good for you. Um, super. Okay, wasn't that for us. But yet, it might have been the toughest year we ever walked through. But it is one of the biggest spiritual journeys I've ever been on in my life. And I do it again if it means I am where I am today. So what we saw was last year was the rollout of the vaccine, which is great. Fantastic. Um, But with the rollout of the vaccine came the rollout of the most division and anger I have seen worldwide in my entire lifetime. You know, you get countries that rise up against each other, civil wars, you know, they're fighting each other. But this was on a global level that totally impacted every family. I saw families divided because one was going to get a vaccine, the other one didn't want a vaccine. Well, we don't agree. Do you know that there was a couple, and there probably were more than one in this city, there's a couple in Cape Town that got divorced over this. She was the Helen that he had not, didn't want the vaccine, and she wanted the vaccine, and so therefore get divorced. I'm going to speculate that there might have been some other underlying issues, but, you know, who am I to say? Who am I to say? <laughs> it might be a perception I might have, you know, throw it out there. I saw families saying to other family members, you can only join us for Christmas if you are vaccinated. It got so bad last year that we actually had to preach unity and diversity. To remind us who we are. We are the ecclesia. We are the called out ones. It means we have to think different. It means we have to behave different. It means that we've got to know what is going on and be awake. Then we had the rollout of the vaccine mandates. And I don't care where you are on the vaccine situation, whether you are for or against, that is now irrelevant. But it is unethical 
to threaten people's livelihoods over a medical procedure. I've watched the most disturbing videos that are happening, that happen in Mitchell's plan. It's all over the place. Because we have to understand that these mandates mandates got rolled out, people went for the vaccine, and there are those that have been injured. It is. It's a fact. I'm not not trying to be bumpy. It is. It is what it is. And there's this beautiful little doctor in Mitchell's plane, Dr. Rapiti. Dr. Rapiti is probably up to here on me. He looks really short, and he has these knitted vests that he wears, and he's been a doctor for, you know, 40-plus years. Gosh, what a man. And he'll stand in his room and just go, and I've had this case today. And there sits a man. He works for the, you know, city of Cape Town. And he said to the man, tell the people what's happened. And he said, no, we had to go for the vaccine, and I, I got it. But now a couple of weeks later, he's woken up and he's completely paralyzed on one side. He goes for help from the medical world and the medical world shun him. And he found Dr. Rapiti. And the fact of the matter is now is that this man who was in poverty already is now in abstract poverty. I'm sorry, that's not right. That's not right, it's not okay. I can't sit back anymore and go, okay, that's fine. Oh, okay, you got injured. Shh, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Come on. I know it's hard. I know this is offensive. But if we don't start talking about it and actually being real with what's going on in the world, I'm sorry, but we are pretty useless then. There's no point. We can gather, we can sing nice songs, you can hear good words, but we are meant to change what is going on out there. This is serious now. This isn't games anymore. You know, uh, um, in in this year of of the journey that I've been on has been watching the different groups in the global church. And there's a group, so it's not us, obviously, because we're amazing. It's (laughs) those people, you know, those ones. And we all nod and we go, yeah, we know those ones. There's a group of people in the global church with their heads fully in the sand and with this mantra that goes, just be quiet. You just push through and it'll just be done. It'll be over. It'll be over. And we don't have to think about it ever again. That's fine. I understand. It's been hectic. Then I've got another group who are rapture ready. (laughs) (laughs) And I I don't know. It could be. I, I, I don't know. I'm not going to lay my head on a block and say that the, the Lord's coming. But they're kind of sitting, like waiting. You rupture Mac, ready to go, kind of situation. <laughs> and then I found a bunch of people who were truly truth seekers. Yeah. Truth seekers that knew from the beginning something doesn't smell right, something doesn't feel right here. And they went on a goose chase. Because they did it without the Holy Spirit. And they have landed up being more confused than I think the most confused person on the planet is. And then they're confusing everyone around them. And then the fourth group, and listen, there's lots of other groups, but these are the ones that have stuck out to me, are the watchers. There's a group of people who have just sat and watched. And I'm in that group. 
I've just watched. I've just felt a lot of stuff. I've felt and like, no, but that's not right. Why are we why are we treating people like that? Why why do you push someone to get a, a vaccine and then they did get hurt and then we've we've ignored them? Why why is the why are you ignoring that doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense. So the watchers, we've watched and we've watched. And now it is time to speak. Now it is time to break up that narrative that the enemy has set globally, that we're in for the fifth, sixth, seventh, five hundredth wave, that you need booster 6,625 to defeat what is ultimately the flu. There's some facts here, people. There's some facts. Come on. Thank you. I've got one with me. Let's go. We keep going. I'm not trying to be controversial. I want to be truthful. Because I think we're in a place now where we, a lot of us are looking around going, okay, something's really not right here. There's something called the world meter. So we know that the world is wicked, okay? That's not exactly breaking news. But what's interesting is when I looked at what was going on in Canaan, the worship of demonic idols, do we have that today? Tick. Taboo sexual acts, tick. Sacrifice of children, tick. Cannibalism, tick. Fortune tellers, tick. Nick. Okay, so we, we're pretty much where Canaan was, okay? The abortions on the world ometer that get this this world ometer gets reset on the first of the first every year. So the number I'm about to read to you is of the first of the first twenty twenty two. The number of worldwide abortions is three million three hundred and fifty four thousand seven hundred and ninety two. That last digit two keeps ticking on the world meter. The following figure I'm about to read to you, I want you to understand that I know coronavirus is real. We have lost people to it. I'm not diminishing it by any sense, but I want to show you a narrative. The total deaths of coronavirus worldwide in two years is the following figure. 500,669,921. Do you know how many times I practiced saying that? I still said it wrong because I don't want to sound like Zuma. (laughs) 5,611,025, you know? Anyway, so I'm going to round it off at 600,000 just to, you know, sound, don't sound like an idiot. 600,000. Can you see the narrative? It's clear? It's clear. But you know, something amazing is happening across the world. I've watched. I've watched for a year. I have been down in the dumps at some of the stuff that I've watched. But the first thing I did was turn off any mainstream media. Switch it off. Pull the plug. Because that is a narrative that has got zero to little truth added. We've got a fast coming up. If you want a challenge, challenge for the fast, switch off the mainstream media. 
Yeah, we switch off your social media. Yeah. You will be so free. Because the moment you switch all of that off, God begins to speak. And his narrative becomes in your ear. And his narrative becomes the truth. And then you are truly free. I too, I can fall into a load of fear when I start watching CNN or whatever. Because you're just like, this is just offensive, the amount of lies that you say. So, <clears throat> the world has gone through a lot of things. Currently, um, currently, just so you know, um, Australia, Melbourne, the, the, one of the st- uh, cities, was in a lockdown for 260 days. Um, they're currently also still locked down to a degree. Did you know that there's been uh, protests in Melbourne? Uh, people have been standing up for weeks now. Every Saturday they protest. The mainstream media will report that there was 2,000 people and they were violent. Do you know that there was no violence? Do you know that there was over 100,000 people? People are rising up. They've had enough. You see, what the enemy does, he takes something like this and then governments that have worked for their people for so long and the people have trusted them for so long, when this happens, the enemy gets in and little, little dictators start arising and start actually abusing the people. I'm very happy to hear what Boris Johnson has announced. I know he did it to save his political bacon, but that's okay. At least they can breathe now without a mask on. In New Zealand... Um, Jacinda Ardern has um, quite literally lost her mind over the Omicron and now wants people to have 24 days of isolation if you test positive. Yeah, 24 days. So if you have a job, sorry for you. Okay. Um, And also limited gatherings of 100 people. Um, France, you can only uh, go to um, restaurants, theatres, etc. if you are vaccinated and have your pass. Church gatherings are capped at 30 people. Canada. Canada. Canada is an interesting place at the moment. We had Ryan and Roxanne around for dinner in the week. They are, in two weeks, they are immigrating to Canada. So I said to them, oh, do you know what's going on in Canada? Let me tell you, there's something about the ecclesia understanding the spiritual temperature of what's going on. It doesn't mean you have to be so awake and you've got to read every article. and you, It's not that. Just look and be awake to what is going on. Canada has been under the most intense um, rules because, you see, Canada, they had a government that works for them. And they're a lovely people. Canadians are just lovely, and they're friendly, and they just want peace. But that government has now started to use that against them. So the mandates are rolling out. And um, Justin Trudeau, the, I think they call them the Prime Minister there, or the President, I'm not sure. Prime Minister. Interesting little character. He reminds me a lot of Napoleon Dynamite. Um, just a very little weedy little man. The truckers have had enough. The same people who served tirelessly in the beginning of the pandemic when there was no vaccine, who drove those trucks, delivered the food, same in the medical world, we clapped, didn't we all clap? Clap for our medical people. You're amazing. But now they're not good enough if they don't have a vaccine. There's a doctor in the UK 
the Minister of Health, Sajiv, Sajiv, yeah, Sajiv, he visited one of the hospitals and he said to the nurses, this Minister of Health, um, so are you, how do you feel about you know, the mandates to get the vaccine? And all the nurses went quiet and this doctor stepped in and said, actually we disagree because natural immunity is something most of us have and we should have a choice. That has caused such a revolution in the UK because the NHS is effectively crumbling because of short staff shortages. So people aren't getting the care they need. Can you see how it knocks on? Can you see the knock-on effects? People are suffering. We have to stand up and say, we're not doing this anymore. It's now enough. Okay? I'm not underestimating the disease, but I have, we have to understand the truth. The truth around it. The narratives. So... Canada. Let me end with Canada. I had a beautiful video about Canada. So Canada, the, the truckers, uh, they got their, their vaccine mandate and they just said, no, we should have choice. It's all about choice. Do you know that the father didn't even mandate salvation? <laughs> it would have been a heck of a lot easier if he did. But he didn't even mandate salvation. So how can we sit and go, well, mandating a medical thing is the right thing to do? I'm sorry, it's not. Yeah. Don't mandate things like that. People have choice. Yeah. Canada. These truckers. They got together and they said, we've had enough. We're about choice. We still want to serve people. We want to serve our country. But we're not doing it according to these laws. So what they did is they've mounted a trucker protest. They started with a couple of thousand trucks coming and heading towards Ottawa. Ottawa is on the American border. Ottawa is their, basically their main city. It's where all their parliamentary buildings are. And the, all these truckers started heading down this past week to Ottawa. The video footage, it, it will make your hair stand on end. It is so powerful to see unity. And it wasn't just the truckers. This is, I think this is the most amazing part. So you see the trucks, and they're heading down. And along the highways are thousands and thousands of people, Canadians, waving their flags in support, saying, yes, we want freedom. Yeah. They've arrived in Ottawa. Justin Trudeau's got a little bit scared because he came out in the week all bolshy. This fringe, very few of them, this fringe, who aren't, this is unacceptable, what they're thinking. Thought crimes? Are we, are we there? Are we at thought crimes? Smells a lot like World War II. <laughs> he has fled Ottawa. Run. I can just imagine him running away into a little safe house because he's realized the narrative is done. You do not get to dictate. We, the people, you are here to serve us. And unfortunately, South Africans, we haven't had the best luck when it comes to people actually serving us in government. But our days are coming. I believe our days are coming. Our days are coming. But you see, what happens in Canada, because of its incredibly huge Christian foundation, the Christian foundations in Canada go deeper than they do in America. What happens with Canada, the way Canada goes is the way the rest of the world goes. 
which is hard for Americans, I understand, because Americans like to say the way America goes is where the world goes. But actually, it's the peaceful people in the north, the ones who have held onto God's word, and things are starting to change. You know what's fascinating about Joshua and Caleb? Out of those 12 spies, they were the only two to ever enter the promised land. What narrative, what narrative are you partnering with? Because trust me, I don't want anything to do with that other narrative because I want to be in my promised land. You know, we've been given, we've been given everything on this earth through the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to take dominion and subdue the land. So when you are, if I have to say to you, okay, we're in our promised land, I think I've said this so many times on the front, how I hated the charismatic theory of breakthrough, which is like basically I, I go to bed and then I wake up and, oh, the money has fallen from heaven and there's rainbows and there's some unicorns and life is everything I've dreamed it to be. That's not breakthrough. Breakthrough is hard. It's tough. It's stretching. Because you really are tested. Did God say? Did God really say? That's what the enemy comes with every time. Did God really say? Did God really say you're in your promised land? Oh, it's not looking like it. Those walls are pretty, pretty high. You're about to lose your job. Sorry. No, I'm not partnering with that. We're partnering with the narrative of what's going around around the world. And that convoy of trucks, do you know what it's called? The Freedom Convoy. Do yourselves a favor. Get onto YouTube, type Freedom Convoy, and watch those videos. Because you begin to see that when people come together in unity, the most powerful things begin to happen. We are about to walk into one of the biggest revivals that this world has ever seen. And it's going to look completely different. Like this morning, I felt God say to me, like this morning is my new move. Are you ready? And I thought back to 1994. A lot of us were around in 1994 into like kind of 1998. The gold dust, the gold teeth. My father-in-law would stand with a mic and he'd just do that and people just, that section would go down and then that section would go down. He'd have an absolute blast. And it was offensive. God didn't do that in the Bible. So then why would he do it now? Guess what? We're in for another move. Are you ready? Are you ready? It's going to be stunning. So now that we're in our promised land, this is where the blessing comes in. This is where the key, that tool that children's been talking about comes in. Bless your promised land despite its giants. Despite its fortified cities, bless it. And that is how we will subdue and have dominion over. That is how we will be in the right place at the right time for God to do what he wants to do. See, I was saying to Ryan and Roxanne when they came, you have to understand you've got to know the spiritual temperature because you moving to Canada is not you, it's God. It's strategic. So he wants you there for something that he needs you to do. You know, if we thought that every day, we'd live our lives a lot differently to how we live them. Where you are is strategic. Even if you are in your deepest, darkest place, it is strategic. Bless it. Bless it. And see what God is going to do. Would you stand with me, please?
If you are needing ministry, you are more than welcome to come to the front. The core leaders, my prayer watch, please be ready, um, healing rooms team, you're going to break that narrative that has consumed you, that has stifled you, paralyzed you, paralyzed with fear. We have nothing to fear. God is on the move. Do you know that the prophets have been prophesying that God's justice would begin to roll out on the earth? And I've heard that phrase for so many years, and I thought, what would that look like? This is what it looks like. That's right. The ecclesia arising. People coming together. Saved, unsaved, whatever. The the hilarious thing in one of the videos is that there's this guy waving this Jesus loves you flag, and right next to him is this guy waving F you Trudeau. And you know, it's it's okay. It's okay. God knows what's going on. I'm sure the Jesus guy loved on that guy as well. So we're going to pray. I want you to lift your hands. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you have brought us this far. And you have brought us this far not to take us back again, Father God. So today is a declaration. We as the Bay City Church acknowledge that we are in our promised land. It might not look like anything in reality, but we can sense and we can feel your move, Lord. And we partner with your narrative, your narrative of joy, your narrative of future plans. Your narrative of dreams coming true. Your narrative, Lord, of peace on this earth, Lord. You are moving. So, Father God, as a community, we arise and say yes. Yes, we are all in, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Bless your holy name. We worship you, Lord. We will surrender to you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you are needing ministry, please come up. Otherwise, have the most blessed, most awesome day. In Jesus' name, amen.